Paul and the fledgling church that we've been reading about in Acts, the Bible says that they turned the whole world upside down. So much so that in Ephesus, the whole city was in an uproar, literally in an uproar. For two hours, more than 25,000 people were in that theater shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And yet in all that tumult, they couldn't find anything to accuse Paul of. They said, well, he hasn't blasphemed our goddess or he hasn't done anything. This is just, you know, let's, let's disperse. This riot doesn't make sense. And so today we pick up on the activities of Paul and the others immediately after the riot. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 38. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging, encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the, the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Isn't that a Sunday morning worship service that you'd like to be at? Right? But this is sort of the first time we see some of these references where they're meeting on the Sunday morning. It's not clear whether this was the first time ever, but they're starting to do that as a practice, especially in these places where they're not meeting in the synagogues. On the first day of the week, they had come together to break bread. They are having communion. They're participating in the Lord's Supper. And here Paul starts to speak. And when he's speaking here, this is not just him in a monologue. The word that is used here is essentially that it's a dialogue. And the people are asking questions or they're discussing, they're going through stuff, and he's just keeping on going right, right up until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man, young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Uh, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. This is reminiscent of the miracles of the men being brought back to life in the ministry of Elijah and then Elisha in the Old Testament. We know or we've seen these kinds of things in, with Jesus, with Peter. And this is the last time that we see this kind of an occurrence in the New Testament of someone being raised from the dead. But here it is, you know, just this young man falls from the window. Paul goes down and touches him, holds him, and he comes back to life. 
We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and we went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Remember that this narration starts with that reference to unleavened bread, Passover, and then this is making a reference to Pentecost, which would have been 50 days later. So it's in, during that period that this, these events are taking place. And so now, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Remember, he had been just, he left from Ephesus because of the riot that took place. So he doesn't go back into the city, but he sends for the elders to come to him in Miletus. It, and so they, when they arrived, when the elders from Ephesus arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the very first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement, that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. In this first chapter of this chapter, uh, we read about Paul continuing to do what he has been doing through all his missionary journeys. He travels to the churches, many that, have, that he helped to establish, and his purpose is to encourage 
and to strengthen these new believers and leaders. He spends as much time as he can with each group, even preaching and teaching right through the night to impart truth and grace to them. But in the second part of this chapter, from verse 18 onwards, Paul is giving his farewell address to the elders of the church in Ephesus. In uh, Luke 9, when we were studying Luke, we saw in Luke 9, we read how Jesus, when he knew that his time on earth was drawing to an end, it says he set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And, I, and, and the people knew that something was going to happen. But he said, that's it. Now this is coming to the end of the spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem. Here in Acts 20, we see something similar. Paul knows that his missionary journeys are drawing to a close and that he must go on to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And he sets his face resolutely to fulfill the Lord's plan for him, even if that means that he will suffer and then die. We see here in Acts 20, and we're going to see it in Acts 21 next week, that the believers are so distressed that they won't see him again. They try to dissuade him from going to Jerusalem. They're like, oh, don't go, don't go. But Paul will not be swayed. He is determined to go where the Holy Spirit is leading him. Compelled by the Holy Spirit. That's what the word says. And this morning, we have much to learn from the content of his farewell, what he says. Paul's emphasis when he speaks to these elders from Ephesus it's not on his past. It's not even on what he has accomplished. But his emphasis is on finishing well. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Keep in mind, this, this is not a deathbed speech. Paul's not on his deathbed, oh, you know, I'm done. You know, he's not, it's not like that. It's not that Paul dies soon after delivering this message. In fact, Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders in AD 57-58, around that time frame. But he was put to death, most probably, in AD 68. So that's almost 10 years of finishing well. Right? And so... In Acts 21 through 28, in Acts chapters 21 through 28, we'll be reading about those events that took place during those 10 years. There was a lot that Paul did in those last 10 years of his life, including writing many of the epistles. But from this point forward, he's in the process of finishing. And he is not going to return to these churches or see these people in person again. Yeah, yesterday in our men's fellowship, we were discussing what it means to finish well. We were saying that you don't know whether you will live in this earth for 40, 50, 80, or 100 years. So you can't think that you can live in whatever way you want and then set things right and live right for the last 10 years of your life. Right? It has to be that you live each day of your life in such a way that if you live for another 60 years or 60 days, the testimony about your life will be the same, that you finished well. 
And there's another reason for us to emphasize finishing well. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And you could really say, remember your brothers and sisters who are speaking the word of God to you, who are with you, who are fellowshipping with you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. That means consider the end of their days and then imitate their faith. Don't just look at how they started, what their gifts were, whether they had the applause of people, whether they accomplished great things for a while, or even whether they messed up and then repented. Consider their end. Consider how they finished, and then imitate their faith. So each of us have a responsibility to finish well, not only for our own sakes, but for all those who would come after us. Because they're looking to us. And it's not sufficient for us to say, I was really faithful to God for 10 years. I really did these particular things in the church for three years. I was, you know, talking to five people. The question is, what happened through the rest of your days or through all your days and how did you finish? Because when the Lord, when the Lord is looking at that and he knows the heart and so on, he has his own way to deal with that. He has his rewards and everything else. But the world around you is also considering how you finished. And so, the question is, how should we then live today? How should we live well today so that we can finish well tomorrow? And the first point, again, one that should be very familiar in terms of what we've been talking about for months, years in the church, we want to focus on loving God and loving people. If there's one thing that is clear about Paul is that he sincerely loves God and that he sincerely loves and cares for the people. I mean, he's willing to give everything. Throughout the book of Acts and then quite definitely in the epistles, in the way that he speaks about Timothy, Mark, Onesimus, the elders that he has trained, and so many others who are ministering with him, you can see that Paul is genuinely concerned for the people's well-being. He is genuinely concerned that they are growing in the Lord, that they would stay strong, that they will you know, be blessed. That he's genuinely considering how they are doing. And you notice what he says here in Acts chapter 20. He says, I have preached what is helpful for you. I have taught you from house to house. I mean, he's going house to house. He could have said, okay, I'll have a, you know, a, you know, a place that I'm going to be at and you can all come to me. No, he makes the trouble. He takes the trouble. He makes the effort to go house to house and teach and preach. And, you know, and he says, I, I, have, I have proclaimed the whole will of God to you. I, I, the whole thing. I, I, I've given you everything that I have. I, I, I want to see you get all of this. I have not coveted anything of yours. I have worked to ensure that I was never a burden to you. I encouraged you to work hard and to give generously. I am warning you about those that will come after me to try and distort the truth. I am praying for you. I am committing you to the grace of God. There's no doubt that Paul cares deeply for the people. He's committed to the people. He's committed to their well-being. And so the first thing that we have here 
Even as we look at Paul demonstrating his love for the Jews and the Gentiles alike again and again, willing to sacrifice for their sakes, it, the first thing, the first directive that we have here to say, look, how should we live today so that we may finish well tomorrow? Love God, love people. Do it in such a way that at the end of your days, you can say with confidence, I have loved others even as the Lord loved me. As the Lord shed his love abroad to me, that love flowed from me to others. Oh, that's a testimony to bear. And people can say this, people can know this of yourself. You don't even have to say it. You simply be, you simply do, you simply live. And the people will be able to say, yes, this person truly loved, truly gave of himself, truly cared about the other person's well-being. Right? Which leads us to this second directive, and that is, again, familiar, focus on the mission. The second directive for finishing well is to focus on the mission. What is it that the Lord has called you to? What is the purpose and the plan that he has for your life? What is the way in which he has directed you thus far, and what he has brought you through thus far, what he has equi equipped you with thus far, and what is he saying that he has ahead of you? What is he saying that he wants you to do? It doesn't matter if you're only 50 years old or 50, only 50. If you're only 50 or if you're 80, it doesn't matter. You know, it, 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 what does the Lord have for you for the rest of your days? It, it, focus on that. Know that. Go after it and say, Lord, you have called me to worship your name to lift up your name, to make your name known among the nations. And when I do that, Lord, when I make your name known among the nations, you said all people will be drawn to you. All people will come to you. They will be saved. They will be set free. They will be delivered. And when that happens, Lord, you have asked me to, to join with them and to see that disciples are made. Followers of Christ are in place. That I can encourage them, that I can stand with them, that I can help them, and that they will be followers of Christ. God, this is the mission and the purpose that you've called me to, the commission that you've given me. And so, Lord, when I have that call in my life, oh, God, I, I just like Paul said, I can say, I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Can you say that? Can you do that when you would interact with your family members, with your colleagues, with your neighbors, with anybody? Would you be able to say, I am innocent of the blood of any of you? Have you done all that you can to pour out your love to them and to fulfill God's mission through you to them? So that you can say, oh, you know what? I've, I've given you the whole counsel of God. I've shared with you the whole will of God. I've given of myself. I've poured myself out like a drink offering. And we'll come to that scripture too. Right? But... That is the way in which Paul says, oh, I focus on the mission. I focus on what God has called me to. And it's not complicated. The, the, the Christian walk is not complicated. It's rather simple. It's not easy, but it's rather simple. Live in such a way. Today, following and focusing on the mission Growing in intimacy with Christ. Remaining faithful in the spiritual disciplines of prayer and worship and study and submission. Remaining teachable and obedient and humble. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Staying in step with the Spirit. Focus on the mission. Stay in step with the Spirit. And you will see what the Lord does as he prepares you 
as he equips you, as he leads you, and as he touches people's lives through you. That's the most glorious thing that could happen in our lives. At the end of our days, it's not, I saved this much money, I did these many things, I accomplished all this stuff, I was well known in these circles, you know, I had these many likes on my Facebook page. At the end of the day, none of that matters. But if the Lord would say of you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Oh, those are welcome words. And so, we focus on loving God and loving people. We focus on the mission. And then, very clearly, Paul focuses on eternity. The third directive for finishing well is to focus now on eternity. It's to say, I know where I'm going. I know whose I am. I know what the Lord has done in my life. I know that he's returning for me. For me. He's coming back. Not just to fulfill prophecy, but he's coming back for me. He loves me. He cares for me. And I will be in eternity with him. Oh, that's, a, that's just, I, I mean, I, there are no words to express the joy that is part of that. To say, oh God, I thank you. I thank you that you are doing this for me. That you have done this. You are doing this. You will do this. And I will be found in you for eternity. Almost 10 years after Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders at the end of his life, when he knew that he would probably be put to death very soon, Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, it says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What a glorious declaration. What a glorious statement. What an encouragement this is for us. His decla this declaration by Paul, it's not, it's, he doesn't say this just for me. I have done these things and I'm glad that I'm getting all this stuff. He says, but for everyone, everyone who loves the Lord, who walks in his ways, who is longing for his appearing, who is focused on eternity, who knows, who's keeping eternity in view. Oh, you can also, you can also join with me. You can also declare this with me. 
Oh, you can also say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me that crown of glory. At the end of our lives, at the end of our lives, we can together with Paul make this declaration. That's what we need to be looking for. That's what we need to be living for. And one thing I want to point out, though, as I have drawn your attention to this crown, you know, don't be distracted by the crown. Don't be thinking of that crown itself, because I want to make this important point to you that the race that the Bible describes is quite unlike the foot races that we are familiar with. The, bra the race that the Bible describes is a lifelong race. It's not just for a short period of time. It's not just in your 20s when you have physical strength. No, this is a lifelong race that the Lord calls us into, that the Bible declares that we are in. It's not a sprint. It's certainly not a sprint. It's not even a marathon where you know in advance where to run and what the end point is. This race that the Lord calls us to, you run on the route that he shows you. He says, this is the way, walk in it. This is, the, this is the path, run, 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 go, here. And if you don't know what's ahead, 10 steps, don't worry about it. My word would be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. I'll light it up as you need to go. But this route that you're going to take, you don't even know. You, you're going through uncharted territory. You just have to trust me. But this is a route, this is a, a, a path, this is a race, this is the course that I have laid out for you. And as you do that, as you go through this race and you run the race that the Lord is showing you and you're running this with perseverance, you keep running until the Lord says, you're done. You don't say, I'm done. You don't say, I, I, you know, I'm tired. You say, Lord, you give me strength and you be with me and you, you fill me with your Holy Spirit and you equip me, but you, I will keep running until you say, you're done. And so this race, this race is in stages over what could be long periods of time or maybe short period of time, but it's the Lord directing that. And this race is run in all sorts of different locations. You're going to go from place to place to the appointed time and appointed boundaries of your dwelling where the Lord wants you to be and run your race there. And then he'll move you or do something or have some change and you go run your race there. But you run this race. And this race, as you run this race according to not your plan, but his plan, you're running, you're guided, and you are moving according to the rules that the Lord himself has set. Paul says, run the race according to the rules. Whose rules? God's rules. God's commands. God's directives. God's path. God's lane. And then when, when you run according to those rules, you run with the encouragement of all those that have gone ahead of you. The Bible says that there's a great cloud of witnesses that are there that are encouraging you and saying, keep going, keep going. We finished our race. We're sitting in the stands as such. But we're telling you, keep going. Go after it. Finish your course too. And we have that encouragement of those that have gone on ahead of us. And we run so as to get the prize, but not for the sake of the prize. We're not saying, ooh, I'm going to get the prize. We say, I'm going to, I'm going to run with everything that's in me. I'm going, to, I'm going to give it my everything, as if to get a prize. But I'm not focused on that. Whether I get the prize or not is not the important thing. But I will run with purpose. 
I will run in that way. And we are doing it with our brothers and sisters, not in a direct competition to say, oh, I can run better than you. We're not trying to compete with them in that regard to defeat them, to say, well, if I win, then you have to lose. No. We run this race in the way that the Bible describes where both of us win. We are collectively and jointly being able to come to the Lord in that victory. And so when we run with our brothers and sisters, we rather rejoice with them. We encourage them. We are inspired by them. And if we see somebody running stronger and faster and better ahead of us or even you know, beside us or whatever, we don't say, oh, oh, mm, who do they think they are? No, they're just showing off. No, we say, well, praise God. And Lord, if you want me to run in that way too, you help me. Let me be glad for my brother. Let me be glad for my sister. Let me look at their examples and what they're doing and how they're submitting to you and so on. But Lord, if you want me to run like that, you do the same in me. I'm willing. I'm yielded. I'm yours. And when we see others who don't have that same capability, who may be not running as well as we are even, we don't say, oh, I'm better than you. No, I'll probably finish before you do. No, I'll have a bigger prize. No, we say, let me help you. This is what I've learned in the way. This is what the Lord has shown me. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me pray with you. Let me hug your neck. Let me shed tears. Let me do all of that. But let me stand with you. Because we want to encourage each other in this race that we're running to persevere until the very end. In... Uh, 1968, John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania qualified to run the marathon at the Summer Olympics in Mexico City. About halfway through the race, Aquari suffered a very bad fall and he injured his shoulder and dislocated his knee. He received medical attention and he could have stopped running because he was pretty badly hurt. But he insisted on continuing the race. He finally hobbled into the stadium and crossed the finish line a full hour and 25 minutes after the winner had crossed the line. So very few people left in the stadium even. And he was the very last runner to finish the race. The very last. Some others had dropped out, but he, of those that finished, he was the very last. After the race, he was interviewed by the media and asked why he felt compelled to finish the race even though he was injured. Aquari's response was this. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Although Aquari ran many more races after the 1968 Olympics, and he was considered a world-class runner, he never won any major competition. But if you go to the official website of the Olympics, olympic.org, amongst all the stories about phenomenal Olympic athletes and mind-blowing Olympic records, you will find a page entitled Marathon Man Aquari demonstrated superhuman spirit. 
And the article goes on to say, he didn't win a medal. In fact, he came nowhere near. But in defeat and in pain, he came to represent something much more profound and enduring than many sportsmen achieve in illustrious careers. He was a good runner, but his performance, courage, and dedication in the face of adversity is what history will remember him for. Aquari is now almost 84 years old. He has lived for many years in the village with his wife and six children. They are farmers. They work very hard in the fields. He was awarded a National Hero Medal of Honor in 1983. And his name is on a training facility, John Stephen Aquari Athletic Foundation. And that's an organization that supports Tanzanian athletes that are training for the Olympic Games. He was invited as a guest to the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia. And he later appeared in the Beijing Olympics as a goodwill ambassador. History remembers Aquari not because he won the race, but because he finished the race. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we have been called, we have been sent, we have been commissioned, and we have been empowered to not just start this race, but to finish it well. And so, we respond by committing to finish well. Not just, oh God, I will say, you know, I accept you and I want to be saved and I don't want to go to hell. But, oh God, I commit to finish well with your strength in me by the power of the Holy Spirit, with the guidance of your word. Oh, Lord God, I commit to finishing well. It doesn't matter what's going on in the physical body. It doesn't matter what may be happening in your mind. It doesn't matter in the circumstances that are around you. But it is our commitment to say, Lord God, let me finish well. And that means... That as we pay attention to all of those things, as we pay attention to what the Lord would do in our lives, we have to apply this principle today by asking ourselves, which area in my life have I fallen down in? Where have I suffered a, a fall? Where is it that I am tempted to say, oh, I'm too badly injured, I can't continue? This part of what I need to do, I, I don't think it'll keep going. Maybe it's in your relationship with somebody. Maybe it's in your relationship with your child. Maybe it's in your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's in some particular addiction, some particular thing that's tormenting you, that's been affecting you, and you say, oh, I have fallen. I can't get up. I can't keep going. This morning, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that you would say, no, Lord, I, I, I'm suffering deeply. I know that there's a big hurt here. My shoulder is hurt, my knee is dislocated, but I'm going to get back up by your strength. I am going to work on this marriage. I'm going to work on my parenting. I'm going to work on how I manage all these resources. I'm going to pay attention to your word. I'm going to step into your purpose and your mission and your call for me, and I'm going to persevere. 
But this morning I want to say to you, ask the Lord, Lord, where is it that I need to get back up? Which area in my life do I need to see you restoring me, equipping me, lifting me up? Where do I need to resume my race? Where do I need to be to keep running, to keep going? I pointed out at the beginning that Jesus was committed to finishing well. He lived his life on earth with the outcome. Even before the creation of the world, the Bible says that he was, he, the plan was for him to come and to do what he was going to do. So he went through his ministry with that outcome, with that goal in clear view. And each and every day, he invested everything in loving and rescuing people. He knew what his mission was, and each and every day, he fulfilled that mission. And he was determined, or he is focused on eternity being ready for us, prepared for us. Which is why, on the cross, Jesus can boldly and confidently say, It is finished. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, you call us to a race. That, Lord, you don't just tell us to do it and then leave us to ourselves, but you give us your self. You give us your word. You give us your strength. You give us your Holy Spirit. And you say you can do it. You can run this race that is set before you. You can run this race with perseverance. You can run this race to finish well. Oh, Lord God, we want to do that. We want to be as Paul. When we say farewell to anybody, oh Lord God, we want to say, I have done all that I can. I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. Lord God, let that be our testimony. And not one that we would, Lord, selfishly or arrogantly boast of ourselves, but one, Lord, that the testimony would be born of us by others that they would look at our lives and say, this person has finished well. Lord God, whether that is today, tomorrow, or 10 years, or 50 years from now, it matters not. Help us to live today in anticipation of finishing well. Help us to focus on loving you and loving people. Help us to make disciples. Help us, Lord, to be prepared for eternity. Oh, Lord God, how wonderful you are to us. How beautiful and gracious and Powerful your word is to us. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, that you have blessed us. We pray this together and commit ourselves to finishing well. Commit ourselves to encouraging each other to finish well. Lord, praying for each other to finish well. We do that, Lord, and we look forward to the rest of our days with great anticipation. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.